that our theme for the year is reimagining. And just reimagining life, yes, as we come out of COVID, but even if we weren't, just what is the future? And one of the most important things we can do in reimagining is actually to make better life decisions. And this morning's message, as I was preparing it, challenged me deeply on certain things. And so I'm not here this morning lecturing you about decisions. I'm challenging you in the same spirit that I felt I was challenged in the preparation of this message. And it's a three-part series simply entitled, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. And this morning, we're going to focus a lot on the whole thing of decisions, decisions, decisions. My life is a veil of decisions. I think some of you have heard that expression. And the reality is, life is all about decisions, choices that we make. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 and verse 15 and 16 says this, be very careful. He doesn't say be paranoid. Paranoia will not help you make good decisions. In fact, it'll push you to bad decisions. He says, just be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Maybe you can just highlight that and emphasize it online in the chat. Just to making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I don't need to convince you that the days are evil. Just look what's going on in our world. There's enough to demonstrate that evil is a very real thing. But he's actually personalizing this about you and I making better choices because we recognize that we can access the wisdom of God. It would be interesting to study just how many decisions you and I make every day. Many of them are subconscious, and I'm sure you've had the experience of driving somewhere and not really paying attention and ending somewhere where you weren't going to go because you got into a little habit and you went on autopilot. We aren't asked for a show of hands. Or other things that are just order. But then there's other things where there's a, a quick choice you have to make between this or that. Or there's the very weighty things of a big decision we have to make about our future. And sometimes we make these decisions with a quiet confidence, hopefully never an arrogance, but sometimes there's that sense of incredible uncertainty. Where is this going to lead? Am I making the right choice? And we are what we are because of the decisions we've made. We are where we are in our life because of the decisions that we've made. And our future, from this moment onwards, Your and my future is determined by ongoing decisions, choices we make. And decisions, if you like, are like the steering wheel of a car where you move one way or the other and hopefully obey most of the road rules in Canberra and beyond. And those decisions will determine the quality of our lives. Proverbs, and I love the the practical wisdom of God's word and especially the book of Proverbs in this regard. Says a prudent person. It's a bit of an old quaint word, prudent, but it means a wise person, a person who considers what they're doing, who connects to God's word. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. So they're actually thinking this decision could lead to that or to that. I need to make the right choice. 
But it says the simpleton or the fool goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. If we were to interview each and every person, myself included, all of us could tell a story, at least one, where we made a hasty choice and suffered the consequences. We're not talking about whether God forgives you or not. God does. There's grace, there's mercy, but the outworking of some of our choices. And maybe today, you're still living with the consequence of a bad decision. So you know what I'm talking about. And we're not immune from making it. It's not like we'll never make another bad decision again after hearing this message. That's not the guarantee. But what it is is an assurance. God, I need your wisdom. I need the authority of your word to speak in my life as I make decisions. I would say that regret and disappointment in our lives is always attached to a decision that we've made. And all of us kind of wish we could time travel and go back and undo one or two major bad decisions that we've made along the way. But what we also need to remember that regret and disappointment are not the only things that flow from your life because you actually have made some great decisions. And perhaps the greatest one was just to say yes to Jesus so he could wash your sins away, give you a brand new start. And that's available to you and I every single day because of the grace and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants to help us make good decisions. And the starting point is simply to ask a serious question. Am I being honest with myself and my choices? Am I being honest with myself and my choices? Because Jeremiah says this, and we're gonna go uphill after this. This is kind of starting at rock bottom. But he says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. Now, in the new covenant, God gives us a new heart with which to obey him. But we still struggle with our carnal nature, our old nature. And it says the human heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. You see, what what he's saying here and a lot more, is that we can actually lie to ourselves and actually deceive ourselves about our own choices and actually convince ourselves that it's not my fault. Now, there are things that other people have done that their choices imposed on us. I'm not talking about, but actually we can go, I think I was right. And deep down we know, but the heart whispers, "You, you okay? It's desperately wicked and very deceitful. So we don't just lie to ourselves, we can actually end up deceiving ourselves. And so this morning as we go through this, let's do a little quick heart check. And it starts off by number one, admitting that I can speak to myself and convince myself that something that I started off thinking this is not right and convince myself it is right, that it's okay, that it's excusable, that it's justifiable. And I think we need to start at that point. And James speaks to 
this condition, this ability to convince yourself that something you know is not good for you, you can say, well, it's all right because of this and because of that, and, it, and they need to pay attention, and the person sitting next to me, no, no, I need to pay attention. And he says in James 1.14, and James is so blunt, he says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, it doesn't mean that because you sinned, you're going to drop dead. It just brings a little bit of death into your heart, into your spirit. Whereas God says, no, I've given you life. And as you make good choices, that life breaks out into your circumstances. I mean, that's awkward. That's uncomfortable. Some of you are going, could you move on and find a better verse? Can you just give me something that makes me feel better? No, we, we've got to admit that we're dealing with something in our own hearts and lives where we can talk ourselves in. There's a salesman inside of us, if you like. Oh, no, it's all right. It's all right. Just do it. Just do it once. You'll be okay. And the quicker we admit this and address it and bring the authority of God's word and check our lives and our choices against the word of God, the quicker we're able to deal with that salesman who's trying to convince us it's okay, just do it once and nobody will know. So we've got to admit it. The second thing we've got to ask the question, which is, am I really being honest with myself? Again, Proverbs 11 verse three and five says, honesty guides good people. The godly are directed by honesty. And it's taking that moment of self-reflection, of kind of looking in the mirror and say, Sean, if that's not your name, don't use my name. <laughs> Just looking in the mirror and say, Sean, are you really being honest with yourself about this thing that you're contemplating? Are you really being honest? Because there's the witness of your conscience and the Holy Spirit who will prompt you and go, nah, or yes, you are being all right. You, you, you're doing all right. This is not about condemnation, but it's about conviction. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to come and, and just put his finger on things. Condemnation is like a blanket depression of heaviness, of weight, of guilt, of shame. Conviction is a sharp thing that always points you back to Jesus, back to hope, back to a way forward. No matter what's behind you, the conviction of the Holy Spirit points you back to Jesus. So he can deal with what is broken, turn around what is sinful, and pour out grace and mercy into that situation to give you a future and a hope. Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit in John 16, verse 13 to 14. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, and he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. I want you to just notice, the spirit of truth comes and his whole purpose is to point you back to Jesus, what Jesus has done for you, the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness and the truth that will set you free and move you forward. So it's not about condemnation, about guilt and shame, it's about conviction. But then we need to invite God's help. David prayed an incredible prayer. It's one of my favorite Psalms. Got a few, but one of them. Psalm 139. 
And he says this in verse 23, 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I want you to notice something. He says, God, I want you to know my heart. It's not that God doesn't. He's saying, God, you know my heart. Help me to know my heart. And the other thing that just leaps out of me, and help me know my anxious thoughts. Because here's the thing that I've learned. My anxious thoughts usually lead me to bad decisions. And anxiety and worry is usually a sign of that I'm not fully trusting God for my future. I kind of think I need to do something to fix something. And I'm sure you've experienced it, but anxious thoughts do not lead to wise decisions. And he says, help me know that. And if we can make sure that verse is up on the screen, I wonder if we can just take 10, 15 seconds of just sitting before the Lord here in the auditorium, wherever you're watching this online, and literally praying that prayer quietly for yourself. Can we do that right now? And just allow a Holy Spirit moment, because this is about you inviting God's help into your heart, into your life, into your anxieties, and say, oh God, just help me. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I love that. He's got a way out of it. He's got a way forward for you. There's a future and a hope for you. And when we invite that kind of activity of God in our hearts, we're literally submitting to him and saying, God, I need your help. Lead me forward. Lead me out of this. Lead me into a better place. And it's a wonderful thing just to yield to God. It's not an easy thing always, but it's a wonderful thing. So the first question is, am I really being honest with myself? But the second question is, what is God wanting from me? What is God's desire for me? And the simple answer is God wants all of us, not just bits of us. He wants all of us. Surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is not just a single event. And for most of us who walk with Jesus, have been a follower of Jesus for a period of time, you can probably point to one or two significant moments of surrender. But what I found, and maybe I'm alone in this and you are far more saintly, is that there's creep of my own natural desires and the pressures of circumstance that make me take things out of God's hand and say, I'll handle this. I'll deal with this. And sometimes it's even subconscious. It's not even a willful 
thing that you do, and it's just in the process, you suddenly find, I actually need to come back to that moment of surrender. And I think it's just an ongoing thing of learning to yield to God. And letting go is the hardest thing because when we're in crisis, we sometimes worry, will God actually turn up for me? Is he actually fully trustworthy? And you can grow in confidence in that. But I think the struggle goes on. It's never over. Well, I surrendered back in 1982, never had to do it again. No, no. It's moment by moment, day by day. And we feel vulnerable. We feel worried. Well, what if? And Peter, having heard Jesus challenge all those who were listening, the disciples, about taking up your cross daily and sacrificing and following him, making daily choices of yielding to the lordship and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left this, that, and he lists a whole lot of material things who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And Jesus is just kind of assuring Peter and I believe assuring us today. He says, I know I've asked for everything. I know, Peter, you telling me all you've given up. But I want to tell you, in that surrender, there is reward in this life and there's reward in eternal life. There's reward in this life and there's reward in eternal life. And when we come to our choices, sometimes we're looking for an instant gratification, an instant reward. And we've got to remember, no, if I, with God's help, on the authority of his word, the leading of his spirit, make a good choice here, I'll have fewer regrets, but there's also a reward in it in my lifetime and in eternity. It's very powerful. Paul, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 13, and in the context, he's talking about the struggle of our human, carnal, unredeemed nature and our new nature that is given to us in Christ. He is talking about a struggle and a little bit later he'll say, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the things that go on inside me, this body of sin and death? Who's and he says, thank goodness Jesus will. But it's in that context that he's speaking. And he says, so do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. And we'd all like to say to Paul, well, that's a lot easier said or written than done, Paul. And he'll go, I know. Because in these chapters, he talks about the struggle. He talks about the inner conflict and then points us back to Jesus for hope and forgiveness and for us being made right, not because of our good choices and decisions, but because of the great choice that Jesus made by dying on the cross for us. He says, so give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have a new life. And sometimes we need to celebrate the new life not just struggle with the old love. Actually, there's a new love. 
Christ lives in me. I've been born again. I've been made new. I've been given a new start. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. I love C.S. Lewis as an author, and he can be very pointed and very challenging, but very insightful. And he says this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. (laughs) Wow. That's worth noting. That's worth thinking about. Because I know there's times, if you were to look at some choices, I'm acting as if it's moderately important. (laughs) Come on, don't look at me like that. You've never been there. The challenge and the struggle with priorities and pressures that come in on you. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 and following, what does the Lord ask of you? Moses is asking this rhetoric question. He says, come on, I want you to think about this. What does God actually want from you? What is God asking of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and to absorb, uh, observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. Most of us are probably familiar with at least a version of that because Jesus quotes it, it's quoted in other places in the Bible. Oh, what does God actually want us? He wants all of us, all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. He wants all of us. But I want to highlight something there, is that... Moses reminds us it's for our own good. Better decisions in serving God, in obeying God, fewer regrets. Obedience, as difficult as it can be at times, as much as we may struggle with it and the struggle of our own nature, unredeemed and the new nature within us, Bible calls it the old man and the new man, that struggle with each other at times. We all know that struggle. He says, but if you obey, it's actually better for you. It's not as if God's got something terrible planned because of obedience and I need to move on. We struggle with competing priorities as we seek to follow Jesus. And Jesus acknowledges this and he tells a story, a parable about people who were invited to the great banquet feast, the eternal banquet. And as they invited, some begin to give excuses, justification for not responding. But listen to the words. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first. Let me first. I, I, I want to, but let me first. Yet to another, he said, I will follow you. So this person's responding to Jesus. I'll follow you, but let me first. And that little phrase just really jumped out in a fresh, in a very convicting way. Well, what are the things in your heart? You go, I'll do it, God. I'll do it, Jesus. But let me first just do this, this, and this. Let me first. 
And the response from the heart of God is, no, I, I want to be first. And if you put me first, I'll be first in the thing that you need to do. What are the let me first challenges in your heart? According to Luke 14, again, uh, a passage about invitation and participation in the kingdom and people given excuses. The three primary excuses that Jesus identifies centers around our possessions, material things, our work situation, and our relationships. And if you were to examine the, the, the competing priorities that you may be struggling with, they'll come down into one of those three categories. A choice about material things, a choice about career and work, and a choice about your relationships. And what Jesus wants is to be first in your work choices. He wants you, it's not about Jesus first, work second, oh no, wife second, otherwise there's trouble. <laughs> it's not about that. That, that kind of categorizing doesn't help. What's the higher priority? Now, Jesus first in my material things. Jesus first in my career. Jesus first in my relationships. It, then you're not pro trying to get a checklist of what comes first, what comes second, and it just gets really complicated. Is how do I put Jesus first in my career? How do I put Jesus first in my choices around relationships? How do I put Jesus first in the material things in my life? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. It's not that Jesus is keeping the things out of your life. He doesn't mind the things as long as the things don't become first. So coming to the pointy end, I've asked three really big questions today for all of us. Am I being honest with myself? What does God really want from me? The answer is all of us, all of you. But the third thing is, how am I going to respond? What is my response? What is your response? And it comes down to discipleship. And what we mean by that, the process in the everyday of how we follow Jesus. Follow me, he says. How do I follow Jesus? So is discipleship, this process of following Jesus, a luxury in your life or total necessity? In 1 Peter 4, verse 17 and 18, Paul says this to Timothy. Don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. I think if he was writing that today, it would be don't waste your time over arguing over godless ideas, and there's so many godless ideas in our society, and the old wives' tales would probably come out of social media. <laughs> I'm not saying don't use social media, but what is the impact? Is social media discipling you, or is the word of God discipling you? Are godless ideas in our society discipling you, or is the authority of God's word discipling you? And he says, instead, train yourself to be godly. Train. Physical training is good. 
But training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. So making this practical, how's your spiritual fitness going? It's good to be physically fit and to do it as much as you can. No guilt here. But what's your spiritual fitness like? Are you being discipled by social media, by secular opinion, or by God's word? And that's one of the reasons we encourage the devotional thing that you can hook up to if you don't know how to just ask somebody in the foyer, they'll help you. And, and because they tie to the series, and it's just one way of having something of God's word in your life. We are so blessed with the Version Bible and all the things that are available to us. And it's just taking some time every day to say, I need God's word. I need God to be speaking to me. And we do our best to help with that. You don't have to do what we're doing. You can do something else, but do something to increase your spiritual fitness. And the question is, as you follow Jesus, what's your next step? For some, it could be baptism in water. For others, seeking the baptism in the Holy Spirit. For others, it's saying, I really need to just get anchored in my faith better. Well, do the Alpha course. It's I need to get connected to the life of the church better. Well, come along to the welcome luncheon. We'll help you map out a next step. For others, my next step is I need to serve. And, and I don't want to go through the whole list of things, but there's a whole lot. There's a, a clear pathway that you can hook into depending on where you are in your walk with God to help you take your next step in following Jesus. But here's what I want to close. Is we don't always get it right. There's not a single one of us that hasn't made a bad decision. And if you have, I'll step off the platform and you can take over. Tell us how good you are. All of us have made bad choices and live with regretting things. And for some of us, those bad choices weigh very heavily on us. And we're not sure if there's a way forward. But Peter made some terrible choices. And I'm not going through the whole story of Peter here at all, but you can read it for yourself and start off with some of these passages that I'm going to highlight. Because Peter, despite saying, though all these pointed to the other disciples, I don't know why you called them, forsake you, I'll never. But when it came to the moment, when he was under pressure, when he was fearful and anxious, he made bad choices, denying Jesus. And there's this little statement in Mark's gospel that Peter followed at a distance. You see, when you carry guilt and shame, it's hard to follow Jesus because you feel, will I be rejected? Will he ever accept me again? And the answer is absolutely, yes, he will. And that's what I love about Peter's story. And Jesus forgave Peter's failure and denial and he kept coming back to the same thing. Peter, I know what's gone on in the past, but from this moment on, I want you to follow me. And you can read this encounter. It's an amazing one, post-resurrection, John chapter 21. And then Jesus told him, follow me. And Peter turned around and saw behind him another disciple and said, what about him? Jesus says to Peter, follow me. And Peter immediately tries to dodge it. Well, what about him? Do you know what he's been up to? Have you any idea? No, 
He looks too saintly to be up to anything. And the piano, I think, helps. But don't we often do that? But what about him? What about her? What about them? And Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? What is that to you? What's going on in other people's lives? Peter, I'm talking about what's going on in your life. And I can forgive you. I can cleanse you. The, the betrayal, the denial and all those things. That it's not, I just want you from this moment on to follow me. But as for you, whatever, don't worry about everybody. As for you, follow me. And so whether you have said yes to Jesus many, many years ago, or you're on the brink of it or still searching, Jesus is walking up to your life and my life today and said, regardless of the decisions of the past, from this moment on, I want you to follow me. And I want to just reflect on that. Perhaps you've never said yes to Jesus once. You've never taken that first step. And your next step is to take the first step of saying, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. <laughs> 